Ash, it's great to have you back in London again. Good to be back, sir. I'm assuming you've received the tragic news this week about Zayn Malik's departure from One Direction. No. That's right, Ash. I know he was your favourite. <laughs> Let it burn, Ash. Let it burn. The Z-Man will be back. Welcome again to another episode of The Muslims Are Coming with me, Ash, and my penny-pinching, poundland-rejecting buddy, Billy Bazooka. How are you, Ash? I'm very well. How are you? Good, sir. Okay, on this week's show, we'll be discussing why it's generally not a good idea to court right-wing fascists, why Billy's taking up glamour modelling, and why growing your own vegetables can make you a champion. Abzalameen, the Conservative candidate who was recorded allegedly plotting with the English Defence League, has resigned with immediate effect to avoid a disciplinary hearing by the party. Amin was recorded saying that he would take the credit for persuading the EDL to call off a planned march. He also pledged to act as the group's unshakable ally in Parliament if they were able to help him. Amin has said he would strongly defend his conduct after the Mail on Sunday published a video in which he said he would take the credit for persuading the EDL to call off a march on the eve of the general election against the building of a mosque. In a statement released by Amin following his resignation, he states, I will say from the outset, I failed to be cynical. I was foolish for having engaged in this sordid affair, and of course I regret the outcome. Having to accept that I was the victim of a year-long sting operation by men with pernicious <laughs> desires to twist the words I've spoken into traps for others is not easy. Five minutes of recordings from over 27 hours of negotiations have been presented. Tommy Robinson has carefully picked the quotes he wants to be public news. I was wrongly set up, and everyone who knows me knows this to be the case. I also want to add that this episode had nothing to do with the Quilliam Foundation. Now, Billy, what do you, uh, what's your take on this thing? I mean, Ash, I don't even know where to begin with this story. It has to be one of the most cynical and spectacular fails <laughs> of all time. Because, look, we all make mistakes, don't we? Mm. And when I first met you, you had blonde or red highlights in your hair. Fabrication. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You could have been in a Bengali boy band. What? <laughs> the boys from the street back. And as for myself, Ash, you know, mm. there's that song. You know what I'm talking about? I yeah? do, yes. It's by someone called Gary Oldman. So last week, I actually typed in Gary Oldman into Google Images, mm. but I accidentally forgot to include the R, which... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, quite stressful for oh, me. Hold on, Gary Oldman's an actor, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that just adds to the horror. But, I mean... The point is that once in a while, everyone has a right to be stupid, don't they? Mm. But this guy, Afzal Amin, I mean, he really abused that privilege, didn't he? Because you can tell that he watched Game of Thrones box set. He watched House of Cards, The Wire. Then he moved on to The Godfather, Usual Suspects, Godfather 2. Then he probably went on to some literature, you know, Count of Monte Cristo, Machiavelli. You know, he thought he was Prince Kaiser Monte Don Corleone. <laughs> but then what happened? He ended up getting outwitted by the EDL. Yeah. I mean, that is like losing in a game of countdown to Phil Mitchell. <laughs> but I mean, you, you mentioned Sting Operation, Ash. I mean, if you didn't know the EDL, you'd think that they were some sort of James Bond 
CIA operation, but this is the group whose members were complaining about Muslimic rape gangs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't think that the way that it was framed that he was somehow duped by the EDL. Yeah. I think that's something that came out. I mean, there are a few colours short of a rainbow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's so, put it that way. Yeah, even Abzal Amin, being as silly as he is, yeah. would not have been duped by the EDL. Mm. So I think this is some sort of cover story to frame it in another way. Mm. I think that Abzal Amin knew exactly what he was doing from the beginning. I mean, what, what do you think, Ash? Do you think it's a coincidence that he's in the Tory party and this happened? Or do you think that he's just a bit of a rogue? Well, for the first time in my life, I would say that it's nothing to do with the Tory party. Wow. <laughs> You've made some outlandish claims on this show, but I think that one tops the, tops yeah, the list. Yeah, it certainly does. And I, I don't, you know, it feels a bit strange saying it, but I don't, I actually don't think it's to do with the Tory party per se. I think it's more to do with sort of electioneering, electoral mm. politics. I think that we live in a climate where anyone would do anything, well, anyone who's an aspiring politician Mm. would do anything to get some votes and I think that this was a very very cynical uh, attempt a covert attempt to do exactly that so you think this is symptomatic of a wider political trend which is basically punch and judy politics well we know about Dudley right Dudley's a very marginal seat yeah I think that what Abzal Amin did was he identified that he needed to get Muslims on his side because obviously any thinking Muslim would not vote Tory yeah so he wanted to <laughs> to get that yeah, yeah you know tick that box yeah. and at the same time I think he wanted to get the the extreme right on his side as well mm. um, um, in this case, the EDL, and he thought that this would be a masterstroke tr- master in, uh, <laughs> in getting all sides reconciled, and uh, it sort of blew up in his face. That just makes it even funnier, though, doesn't it? Because I love the idea that after all this sort of plotting, he probably woke up one morning feeling like really optimistic, really good about <laughs> himself. He brushed his teeth, he looked in the mirror, and he was like, Afzal Amin, this is your time to shine. You're the man! You're yeah. the man! You're the man! <laughs> you know, he went downstairs, had his little cornflakes, probably turned on the TV, saw his name on the headline, and he must have thought, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, never has there been such an enormous gap between expectation and reality. But one thing I did take particular events to, though, was in the recorded conversations with Afzal Amin, when he was asked whether he liked spicy food, Amin said, No, I'm not a Paki, am I? <laughs> now, look, Mr. Amin, you can try and play the Muslim community, your potential constituents, betray your principles, whatever. But don't take it out on the curry. Yeah, man, don't do that. You're crossing borders. But maybe he had some sort of traumatic experience when he was younger with curry. You know, his parents were out. He invited a lady friend over. Mm. You know, he's wined and dined there. Mm. And he thought, oh, yeah, you know what? Time for dessert. Goes into the freezer, gets an ice cream out, Viennetta, cart door, <laughs> none of that cheap stuff. You know, takes it to her, opens it up. It's full of seat kebabs, bruv. <laughs> Murk Chana. We've all been there, Ash. We've all been there. Police are investigating Twitter comments by newspaper columnist Katie Hopkins suggesting men of Pakistani origin in Rochdale were sex abusers. Labour politician Simon Danjuk reported her to Greater Manchester's Police and Crime Commissioner, claiming she had incited racial hatred. Ms Hopkins began a series of tweets after he took part in celebrations in the town for Pakistan's National Day. Greater Manchester Police said it was reviewing the contents of the tweets. 
Miss Hopkins, 40, posted the messages to her account after Mr. Dandruk tweeted a picture of himself helping raise the Pakistan flag at Rochdale Town Hall on 23rd March. At the time, Mr. Dandruk was the MP for Rochdale. The Sun columnist wrote, Raising a Pakistani flag in Rochdale is not helping community cohesion. It is inflammatory. At Simon Dandruk, you and your party disgust me. She later sent a picture of eight men convicted of child sex exploitation offences in Greater Manchester, asking Mr. Danjuk if they were his friends too. Mr. Danjuk, 48, said Rochdale had faced up to the heinous crime of child grooming in a way that's managed to keep our communities together. So, Katie Hopkins, Billy, are you a fan or are you not? Katie Hopkins. There's a name that will be on the lips of human beings for as long as human beings know how to swear. (laughs) What a shady character. I mean, I can't believe that media outlets still give her the time of day, Ash. This whole thing is uh, is a bit strange, really, because how is she... She's just a really bigoted, mean-spirited, horrible person. She is. That is always on TV, in the press... On social media. She's mm. everywhere, and I don't know, I really don't know why. But, uh, I mean, the good thing is, Ash, that when Katie Hopkins makes a political statement, it has the power and influence of a YouTube comment. But, I mean, I'd love to sit here and make a fool out of Katie Hopkins, but the truth is, Ash, that A, it would be quite cheap, and B, I can't really take credit for that, because she already does that every single time she opens her mouth. I would like to caveat that, though. Go for it. You do like cheap things. <laughs> Oh, God. You never hesitate to make a little stab at me, do you, Ash? Now, look, back to the episode, Ash. All personal preferences aside. (laughs) Look, in episode one, we talked about how Kathy Newman lied about being ushered out of a mosque. Mm. In episode two, we talked about Kay Burley and the dehumanisation of Muslims. Then in episode three, we discussed a Times headline which suggested that there was a relationship between Muslims and grooming of young girls. And a Daily Mail headline which talked about Muslim vampires. Yeah. Now we've got Katie Hopkins suggesting a link between Pakistani men and sex abuse. So my question is, do all of these things exist in isolation or is there some sort of domino effect creating more and more hatred and fear which makes it more and more normal to say these kinds of things? Well, I think it's a lot simpler than that, really. It's like the gold rush in, in California, isn't it? People know that using Muslims is a good way of getting themselves out there and cashing in. Uh, it's not just Muslims, is it? It's ethnic minorities in general which are being attacked. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that if you sort of wound the clock back 150 years or so, the people under attack here would be the Irish community. Yeah. And then at the turn of the century, it was the Jewish community. In the post-war years, it was um, you know people that came from, from the New Commonwealth, so Caribbean, South Asians. And over the last 20 years or so, it's it's been Muslims. So this is a, a pattern. There's a there's a trend where people who are, who are the most vulnerable, people mm. who don't have access to power, people who do not enjoy a relative parity in our society yeah. are always used as leverage to sort of, uh, for the opportunism of the more dominant group and it seems like mm. Katie Hopkins is a symptom of that uh, particular dynamic But it's interesting you say that because Katie Hopkins made her name off the back of her appearances in The Apprentice Yeah and she used to work in the city. I mean, do you think she's just exploiting minority communities for her own gain? Well, not just her, people of her ilk, let's say, Mm. that are exploiting minority communities for their own gain in the same way that people manipulate commodities in finance for profit? Yeah, I I suppose you could make that link. Let's face it, she knows that if she was to make comments in the manner in which she has related to the people that she has, 
that it's going to get noticed. And clearly, it did get noticed. Mm. And I don't think Katie Hopkins is that stupid not to realise that Pakistanis are not all sex abusers. I mean, yeah. she can't she can't believe that. So if she doesn't believe it, and let's give her at least two brain cells and suggest that she doesn't believe it, she is then using that as some sort of capital, as some sort of leverage to promote her, her own self, promote her own agenda. Which means that she's clocked onto this idea, exactly what you're talking about. She's clocked onto this notion that saying things of this man saying inflammatory making inflammatory comments is going to get her noticed and if she gets noticed then she can cash in however she feels you know whatever her equivalent of cash is whether it's attention whether it's money whether yeah. it's fame or whatever else it is. I mean it, it, it's interesting that Afzal Amin and Katie Hopkins <laughs> are quite similar in that respect aren't they yeah I mean do you think that they just need some love I mean maybe there needs to be some sort of goodwill hunting moment where we just look at them and we say look Afzal Amin mm. it's not your fault mm. It's not your fault. <laughs> now, these comments made by Katie Hopkins are they're sort of representative of a wider trend which extends from far-right movements to liberal intellectuals like Ayan Hirsi Ali and even comedians like Ricky Gervais who sort of blame religion for all of the recent tragedies like 7-7, Seven Seven, the Rochdale grooming, female genital mutilation, ISIS, etc. Yeah. And even historical events like the Crusades. I mean, is that fair? I mean, is it religion which makes people go to war and commit these kinds of atrocities that we've been seeing of late well there's also Richard Dawkins as well who's a you know a very prominent physicist isn't he He's, yeah um, he gets a lot of airtime for his anti-religious views um, in answer to your question though I, you know it, it's very simplistic just to blame religion uh, there are in my opinion lots of other factors that contribute towards like what you have to consider politics you have to consider economics, you have to consider sociology, culture. There's so many other human factors that contribute towards um, somebody becoming radicalised or committing acts of atrocity. Yeah. And it's also an impo- important point to mention that not all acts of atrocity are related to religion. So what ETA do, you know, the, the Basque uh, Liberation Front in Spain yeah. is not necessarily to do with religion it's to do with ethnicity in this yeah. case and to perceive domination from central government which yeah. which is a different according to them a different ethnic group who have historically oppressed these people in the north of Spain so I think it's very easy and lazy to blame religion when it comes to any act of altru- uh, any acts of atrocity yeah. especially when you consider in the 20th century for example the two most major causes of human death on a massive scale yeah. uh, have not necessarily been inspired by religion. I mean, can, can we talk about this idea of knowledge and power now? Because how do we go from something... Well, let's take the uh, example of Islam. So how do we go from the Qur'an to people blowing themselves up on the London underground in the name of religion? Well, first of all, I've got to say that there are 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. And compared to the population of Muslims in the world, there is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the global Muslim population that react and understand and interpret the Quran in the way that you've just described. Mm. Right. So putting that aside, let's concentrate on the people who do act on, on, on that because they think that it's something to do with the Quran. So how does that occur? Because we're talking about knowledge and education, yeah. aren't we? I mean, how does that process actually happen? Well, it, you know, it, it's a case-by-case thing, you know? It's a subject journey. So if you were to take the case of Michael Adebalajo, who was one of the, the, the guys that killed Lee Rigby,
be. I mean, this guy, <coughs> he had a very complex upbringing. Obviously, he was uh, a member of the ethnic minority in Britain. And, you know, he was clearly very angry. Now, somebody like that who's vulnerable, who is prone to criminality, all of a sudden comes across Anjam Chowdhury. Or, or someone who he considers to be a paternal pastoral influence in his life. And that person is for, you know, Ali Bellagio, a source of knowledge. And that person is also uh, an authority figure, so therefore a source of power. And those things are inextricable. But having said all of that, though, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from um, the human agency factor when people go off and commit atrocities. Right? Yeah. That needs to be 100% unequivocally clear. So that, that needs to be considered as well. So essentially you're saying that in the same way that any ideology can be exploited, mm. religion can also be exploited. But to, to re- reduce all of these things that you've mentioned, such as people's upbringing, the media, society, being an ethnic minority, power relations, money, to reduce all of those things to one singular term, which is religion, is a crass reduction. And frankly, it's quite lazy. No, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely is this. And for me, I, I find it very difficult to cope with... The the fact that this is a discourse I, mean, I don't understand how really intelligent people like professor richard dawkins and you know people like ricky gervais and others there are many people who plug this agenda i can't understand why they don't see how it's a crass reduction why they don't see that it's a complex multifarious picture where there's so many contributory factors in creating this monster and it is a monster it has to be said but it needs more people to come out and state the truth yeah. rather than plug some sort of yeah. fetish, some sort of desire, some sort of internal you know, agenda that they've always had in their lifetime. And that, to me, to be honest, is very, very unacceptable. But I guess there is one shining white knight, one glimmer of hope that we have, isn't there, Rash? The Quilliam Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Save us. Save us. <laughs> Youngsters from the cooking and gardening clubs at Chris and Hale Primary School won first prize in a national competition to devise a healthy recipe using homegrown ingredients. The combination of vegetable sabzi with chapati and Cape gooseberry lassi was a hit with the judges in the Grow Your Own Lunch competition. Parent volunteer Jyoti Vijan, Chef Ali Noor, who runs the cooking club, and Cassie Liversidge, who runs the gardening club, helped devise a tasty meal using ingredients grown in the school garden. Head teacher Helen James said, We are proud of our fantastic garden at Chisholm Hill and are so lucky to have such talented parent volunteers who are able to share their expertise with the children through clubs at the school. These hands-on experiences provide memorable ways to develop children's learning. Ah, oh, that's a good one. I'm really glad you ended with that one, Ash. You know, it's like the last scene of Star Wars where, after all the unnecessary incest and war, <laughs> Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi, they come together and they look towards a happy future filled with hope. And then they made that awful prequel, Phantom of the Menace, with that ridiculously annoying character that everyone hated. What was it called again, Ash? I think it was uh, Jar Jar Binks. No, 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 the other one. Oh, Kira Knightley, that was it. <laughs> Now, at your request, Ash, we're actually going to call Chex Daniels this week to find out what's really going on in the Middle East. Oh, no, I regret this already. 
Hello? Hello, Jax, can you hear me? Bill Bull Baggins, I can hear you, man. You sound delicious. Your voice sounds like honey. Hey, how's it going, man? I heard you had an unfortunate quad biking accident. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay, a bit sandy. I've got Ash Li- with me, and he's all, as always, is very happy to hear your voice. Uh, okay, Ash. Hello, Jax. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. I can feel the energy. I'm feeling of it right now. It's electrifying. So, Jax. Awesome. What's going on in the Middle East? Yemen is all kicking off over there. Yeah, man. You know, um, you know, I moved to the Gulf for the money, but also yeah. for the security and the calm. Yeah. And it's been anything but secure and calm, man. Basically, all Gulf countries have gone to war against this uh, group called the Houthis, or the movement called Houthi movement. Basically, they're smashing this group who have been taking over city after city and have now taken over the government. Why, why are all these countries joining in checks? This is not the full list. You've got the Gulf countries led by Saudi. You've got Egypt, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, Jordan, Morocco, Pakistan, Turkey, and Sudan. Sudan. Sudan checks. That doesn't even make sense. I mean, it's like checks. You know when you're watching Arsenal and then there's a big ruck on the football pitch. Yeah. And then, then Theo Walcott decides to get involved and everyone's just like, look, Theo mm. Walcott, fall back. We got yeah. this. You're a liability, mate. It's like an argue, when you're in an argument against someone and you're winning and then suddenly this, your friend, like Rizwan, comes and supports your side and you're like, no, no, Rizwan, you go to the other side. You're making me look bad. Yes, I know exactly how you feel. How is Rizwan, by the way? Oh, he's great. Yesterday he fell into the Thames and we had to, <laughs> <laughs> we had to fish him out. But yeah, so Jax, can you talk to us about Yemen? Because the only thing that we really know about it is that they love salmon fishing. And uh, they love men. They go, yay, men. Yemen, basically, is a very, very poor country. It's the poorest Arab country out there. Uh, 10 million Yemenis are believed to be food insecure. It's a very poor country. It's one of those countries that basically lives off IMF loans and World Bank loans and US military charity. And all of these things come with conditions of cutting public spending, uh, healthcare, things like food subsidies, all this stuff. So it's basically it's one of those countries where the government lives off money from abroad, ignoring the people who have been suffering, which explains why this Houthi uh, movement has you know, gained so much strength and basically taken over cities with very little resistance because people basically are joining them. So can you explain why all of these countries are joining the Gulf in attacking Yemen? Basically, you have 12 countries who are allied together and with the blessing of the US who are fighting this one movement who have taken over the, uh, the country. And the reason isn't that this movement is a, you know, Spartan 300 Braveheart style movement. The reason is basically it's very easy for these countries to join and international politics doesn't really work like real life. It doesn't really work according to the same morals and, and rationale. I'll give you an analogy, Billy. Bilbo, you know how I like analogies. You call them chaxologies. <laughs> I'll give you a chaxology. So basically, you at home, there's this boy outside, little 12-year-old, 11-year-old boy, kicking the you know football against your door. You, after a while, get very, very angry. You go out, open the door, start punching this boy in his face repeatedly. You, in this analogy, are Saudi Arabia slash US, and the boy is Yemen, Putin's. Okay. I see what you're doing from across the road because I live next to you in this analogy and I remember there's Bilbo I owe him money 260 pounds to be exact checks yeah in the analogy it's more like 150 because I pay
paid you um, 110 but, but anyway I owe you some money and you know I want to I think to myself oh it would be good if I get on Billy's good side I run downstairs I go up and then start kicking this boy in the ribs in support of you and yeah, you look at me you. and go yeah bro yeah, take that, take take that. in this analogy I'm Egypt for example right. then Ash who's say on his way to the barbers or on the way back from the barbers no on the way I back mean, when, whenever we see Ash he's either on the way to the salon or on the way back okay say, say Ash is on his way back from the salon for his weekly trim he sees us smashing this boy who by now is unconscious and bloodied yeah. and everything he remembers oh my god I, I've had a little argument with Billy and that there is Chax his dad owns a chippy I wouldn't mind getting on his good side so I can get some free chips once in a while so he comes and joins us and starts farting on the boy's face or whatever yeah his signature move yeah <laughs> yeah so basically say Ash could be, Ash could be anyone in the of the other countries so Morocco Pakistan Turkey take your pick is yeah. this Sunni Shia thing it is a Sunni Shia thing if you think US is a Sunni country and Russia is a Shia country but otherwise no it's not a Sunni Shia thing yeah I think you're putting words into my mouth there Chax yes sir are you angry about all of this I'm very angry the, the thing that makes me angry is the media portrayal of this as a Shia Sunni thing and you know you see in the Guardian for example they keep reporting these the victories of the Houthis you know taking over city of city recently taking over the presidential palace and in amongst all these sort of words of Houthi success is Yemen's the poorest country there's no food as if the Houthi movement is the beginning of Yemen's decline one of the poorest countries in the world you know consistently smashed napalmed by the West before Vietnam was napalmed destroyed in every possible way uh, you know during the Cold War was split up by US and, and Russia who just sucked it dry Jax thanks a lot for enlightening us sorry Bilbo Bilbo Baggins before you go can I just ask Ash um Ash, why don't you like me? It's not that I don't like you, Chex. I just think you're a bit too angry. I wasn't always angry. I, was, I started getting angry when, when you stopped liking me. Oh, uh, maybe I should give you a hug. Let's call David Cameron, Bills. Hug a hoodie. Hug a hoosie. Hug a hoosie. Bye, Chex. Bye. Take care, Bilbo. Thank you for listening to The Muslims Are Coming. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at the MAC Podcast. We know that we promised Dr. Igor Kerstich this week, but apparently he's enjoying Easter with his family in Italy. Bit selfish. So from me this week, it's goodbye. And from me, it's goodbye. Bye. Bye. One thing's for certain, though. Katie Hopkins <laughs> is at least getting noticed. She is. Unlike us. <laughs> so maybe we should do something similar. Ash, are you, are you putting yourself forward as a model for the 2015 <laughs> MAC calendar? <laughs> well, actually, funny you should mention that. But I was thinking the world needs to see that chest of yours, Billy. Ash. I think we'll get in the punters immediately. <laughs> That's fair, Ash. But I think with your hair, the world would prefer to see you spread eagle. <laughs> Across a jeep in the desert, <laughs> <laughs> holding a pancake for Easter. I think that would be a lot more appealing. See, I never thought you cared, Billy. Really. <laughs>